Amen. Amen. Good morning, Relentless Church. Welcome. My name is Raph. For those of you I haven't had the pleasure of meeting, I'm the associate pastor here at Relentless. And uh, just really, really excited to be here to share with you all to pick up where we left off last week. Uh, we, we kicked off a series called Back to the Table. Um, if if uh, you're new with us or, or maybe uh, you, you just don't remember because it was four years ago, in May 2019, we did a series called The Table. And so last week we talked about how, you know, post-pandemic and everything that's been going on in life getting crazy, how we as a church are committed to getting back to the table. Okay, so we define tabling here at Relentless as uh, the act of investing relationally with one another over a meal. The act of investing relationally with one another over a meal. And there's so much power. As we look in Scripture, from the Old Testament all the way through the New, when Jesus starts his ministry, that how important um, connecting, tabling really, really is, right? The table, what we talked about last week is, is tabling is essential to following Jesus because it connects us. The table connects us to Jesus himself. It connects us to one another. And so the table is where we, where we build and strengthen relationships. The table is where we really get into each other's lives. The table is, is where bonds are formed and, and where perspectives change and, and where we learn to understand each other and, and, and really start to live life more, more fully. And so uh, that's kind of that's how we kicked off last week. Um, and and uh, I, we, we announced uh, this tabling initiative. And so, again, if you, if you missed that, uh, what we're going to do as a church over the course of the summer in, uh, for a week in June and July and August, the dates for the June are uh, starting the week of uh, Sunday, June 4th, so next Sunday through Saturday the 10th. There will be different people from Relentless Church hosting uh, people from the church in their homes so we can table together, so we can get to know each other better, break bread together, and really start um, doing, doing life together. And so I think right now, uh, if you go on our website, it's relentlesschurch.cc, if you click on the What's Happening page, there are six hosts who have currently opened up their homes. I did the math between the, the people who, uh, who are hosting in their families and, and the space that they've created to, to uh, bring people in, that, that if all of our tables fill up, we'll have over 100 people from our church tabling throughout the community with one another, which would be pretty cool. Yeah, and we're, we're probably about halfway there. There's still some spots, so if you haven't signed up, go ahead and check it out. If the dates don't work for you, um, keep it in mind. We're going to do it again in July. We're going to do it again in August. If you're interested in hosting, you can. all that info is on the website as well. But uh, we, we want to commit to this. We want to step into this as a church, and man, I think God's going to do something really special. I really do believe that, all right? So uh, with that said, um, I'm going to start out with a, a confession and a story, okay? <laughs> confession is, uh, I'm not a... I've come to the realization that I'm not a very good neighbor, okay? I'm, not, I'm just not I'm being honest. Now, you heard Takesha when she was up here earlier. She said uh, the RC kids, uh, you know, love God, love others. We talk about it with them every week. That comes from Jesus's, what Jesus said the greatest command was, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Now, uh, I'm pretty good at loving others. I try to be intentional about loving others, but I'm talking about specifically, like if you live right next door to me, to the right or to the left, I don't think I'm the best neighbor. And I've been convicted of that, okay? And there's lots of reasons we can, we can get into, but uh, uh, part of it might be some past experiences. When my wife and I first moved uh, to, to North Carolina, uh, moved into Fuquay, um, and, and uh, we, we, we moved in our house. We were intentional. We knew we were coming to a new church. Like, we got to meet people. We don't know anyone in town other than the, the Joneses, right? We're going to meet some people at church. We're going to meet people in our neighborhood. Let's invite them to church. All that stuff. We're going to be super intentional about this. And so my wife had, had the idea, okay, let's, let's just take walks around the neighborhood. And then we'll see people. We'll be out in the neighborhood. Surely we'll meet some people. And like, so we started doing these nightly walks. And sure enough, we noticed there was a group of neighbors kind of six, seven houses.
houses down who like, they, they had like a, a group that just hung out. They were friends. They were always in each other's front yards and talking and the wives were over here talking and the husbands were over here and the kids were playing. And so uh, we, um, we, 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 we picked that up and, and we we're like, all right, man, one of these walks, we, we saw them outside and we just stopped and introduced ourselves. And, and, you know, they couldn't be more friendly. Hey, I'm Raph. I miss you. She's talking to the ladies. I, I get to talking to the husbands. And uh, it seems like a pretty good introductory conversation. You know, we exchange pleasantries. I just moved down the street, blah, blah, blah. And then, uh, sure enough, this guy, I'm going to call him Tim uh, because uh, I'm, I'm praying one day he will show up here and I don't want everyone to know his business. So we're going to call him Tim for, this, for the story, okay? But, uh, but finally, Tim asked me, hey, what do you do? And I said, oh, I'm a pastor at a local church. And it, have you ever had a moment, maybe you've seen it in the movies, like where the, the record scratches and everything stops, like, Err! awkward. Like it was just, like conversation was over. <laughs> no one knew what to say to me. It wasn't like they were rude to me, but it was just like, all right, we're ready for this to be done, right? And it, it, I don't know if something I was putting off or just that word pastor, right? Oh, no, he's going to, whatever they were thinking, those preconceived notions, but it was like shut down. And I was like, oh, my, meanwhile, my wife's having a great time talking with the ladies over there. And I'm like, all right, let's get this walk over with. <laughs> it's getting awkward, right? And so we, 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 we take off and on the way back home, I'm like, I don't think we're going to be friends with them. And she's like, what do you mean? His wife invited me over for dinner. And I was like, what? She's like, yeah, they invited us over for a dinner party next week. And I was like, I ain't going. And she's like, no, we're going. And I'm like, no, they don't want to be friends with me. I'm not going. They hurt my feelings. I'm not. I told Pastor David after, like shortly after that, exactly what happened. He's like, man, that's why I tell people I'm a life coach. And I was like, well, thanks for now I know. Thanks. So I agree to go to dinner at Tim and his wife's house, and, and uh, we show up, and, uh, and uh, we're one of the first ones there, and his wife's like, oh, he's, he's out back uh, grilling if you want to go say hi to him. So I go back, and he's on the grill. I like to grill. He's got some steaks on there. I'm like, all right, we can, we can talk about food. I know I, connect, I can connect with him on food. And so sure enough, we're talking about food. He's a foodie. He's telling me about all these restaurants I need to check out because I'm new to the area. I notice he's wearing a Washington Redskins shirt. Like, okay, you like football, NFL, sorry about the Redskins, I'm a Patriots fan, but we connect on that level. Before you know it, we're talking fantasy football. By the end of the night, man, I think I, I, think I got a friend. Like, we're doing pretty good, right? So much so that, uh, that uh, our kids end up hanging out, playing together. Uh, over time, they would come down to our house and play. Our kids would just go up to their house and play. We, uh, we invited them to our house for dinner. Um, Tim started having, he has these uh, poker nights pretty regular at his house, and he invited me to come play poker with the guys. Um, and so we struck up a, a, a real friendship that continues to this day. We moved out of that neighborhood, um, but, but we still stay connected. We're in a fantasy football league together. And, and so um, I, made, I made a friend, y'all. That's the moral of the story. No, <laughs> no the truth is... Um, I'm going to make a statement outside of that, outside of the context of this story may not make a whole lot of sense. But I want you to think about it a few moments through the context of this story and, and also in regard to everything that we know, everything that we've been talking about with regard to tabling, okay? Here it is. Sometimes it takes a party to change how we see each other. So sometimes it takes a party to change how we see each other. I'm convinced that if I had not gone to that dinner party at Tim's house, our relationship would have stayed superficial. Okay, we, we, but when I, when I stepped into his home and, and spent time with him and his family and his friends on, on his turf, okay, in, a, in an environment where, where, where people can be themselves authentically, it just, it built a, a different kind of relationship, okay? Things change between us. Things change between us, okay? There's something about spending time with one another that is unrushed, in a, in a place that is safe, where we can be ourselves authentically, where we can build a different kind of relationship. And this is a lot of what we've been talking about with, with the idea of tabling, okay? 
Now, since I'm sure we all have an image that comes to our minds when, when we use that word party, let me clarify, okay? I'm not talking about the uh, irresponsible or indulgent or indecent kind of party that might leave you with a hangover or maybe waking up to a text message you don't remember sending. I'm not talking about the parties of our misspent youth, okay? Instead, I'm talking about engaging with other people in ways that add dimension to your life. Okay, I'm implying that there's a kind of celebration and an interaction with others that, that actually moves people to love life in a unique kind of way. Okay, let me put it this way. A party is any effort to celebrate, serve, or enjoy each other in a way that adds value to life. A party is any effort to celebrate, serve, or enjoy each other in a way that adds value to life. This is, this is the definition we're going to use for party. I'm going to refer to it throughout this message, and so I want you to keep that definition in mind. We'll break it down, okay? Any effort. A party can be fast, it could be long, it could be big, it could be small, okay? To celebrate. A party can honor or pay tribute. To serve. A party can help or support. Enjoy. A party can just be fun, okay? Each other. A party takes at least two people, all right? And, and, and in a way that adds value to life. Parties should make a positive impact, okay? That's why I believe parties should be a priority, really for all of us, but especially for us as followers of Jesus. In fact, I think maybe that's why Jesus seemed to love parties so much, okay? Because Jesus understood the potential of what can happen at a party. As we see Jesus in, in Scripture, read through the Gospels, his, his life and his ministry, Jesus went to parties all the time. Jesus told stories about parties. Jesus actually compared the kingdom of God to one big party, okay? It was almost as if Jesus was saying, sometimes it takes a party. Sometimes it, it takes a party. I want you to think about it. Jesus did his first miracle at a party, okay? John chapter 2, there was a, a wedding celebration. Apparently, they must have been, you know, close family friends because Jesus' mom was at the wedding as well. Um, wedding celebrations in, in Jesus' day in, that, in, in Jewish culture were, were a big deal. The celebration would last sometimes up to a week, okay, seven days. In fact, local rabbis would often suspend the Jewish tradition, the, the, the laws of cleansing and all the ceremonial rituals that they had to do. They would suspend those rules for the duration of a wedding celebration just so that people can fully enjoy it. That's how big of a deal wedding celebrations were in this culture, okay? And so Jesus is at this wedding. They're celebrating, having a good time. All of a sudden, there's a problem. We know it's a problem because his mom comes up to him, and she says, Jesus, they ran out of wine. And he's like, woman, it's not my time. I don't know what you want me to do. He's saying, look, I know you know who I am, and they don't know who I am, and it's not my time yet. So, so I don't know why you're coming to me with this. And, and you know sometimes how mom can give you a look, right? Like, it doesn't say it in scripture, but all we know is the very next moment, he did exactly what she wanted him to do. Right? She even looked at the servants and said, y'all get ready because he's about to do something. Right? And sure enough, he did. He turned, he turned these huge vats of water into wine, and not just any old wine, but the, the master of ceremony said it was the best wine anyone, any of them had ever tasted. And, and so Jesus said, go ahead, let's keep the party going. Let's keep the, the celebration going. And, and John actually says in scripture that this was the first time Jesus revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. And it was like God was making a statement at the very beginning of Jesus's ministry. Sometimes it takes a party to demonstrate that God cares about people who party. How about this? How about the story of the prodigal son? 
Okay? Many of you are probably familiar with it, but uh, if you read in Luke chapter 15, there's a, there's a father. Um, Jesus tells this story, this parable about a father who has two sons, uh, the older son who's kind of the, the dutiful, obedient son, and the younger son who's the rebellious one. And so this young son comes up to his father and says, hey, God, I want my, I mean, God, hey, father, dad, I want my, my inheritance now. And in and, and this culture, what, what, that, what he was essentially saying to his dad, what we need to understand, he's saying, hey, I wish you were dead so I could just have my inheritance and go live my life. And the father says, okay, here you go. He gives it to him. The son takes it. He goes off uh, to foreign lands. And scripture tells us he just blew all that money on frivolous living, just a wild living until he had nothing left, ultimately finds himself living uh, uh, in a, on a pig farm, apparently, sleeping and eating amongst the pigs. Like he hits rock bottom. And suddenly it occurs to him, you know what? My father has servants who live better than I am right now. What if I go back home and apologize to my dad and just ask him, can I just be a servant in your household? Would you forgive me and let me do that? And so he decides, I'm going to do that. He gets up. He starts making the long trek home. He's, he's rehearsing his speech, his apology for his father before he even gets a, a chance to, to give it, okay? Jesus says the, the father sees the son. He's a long way off. He runs out to meet his son, catches him, puts, his, his, puts a robe on his, on his shoulders. He puts a ring on his finger. He puts, before he can even say anything, puts sandals on his feet to signify, hey, my son is home. You're my home and you are forgiven and all is well. I want you to see it. Luke chapter 15, verse 22 But his father said to the servants, quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the calf we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast for this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So the party began. Man, Jesus paints this beautiful picture of a loving father who threw this party for his rebellious son who did not deserve it when he returned home. And it was as if God was implying, sometimes it takes a party to confirm that we can always be forgiven. Nothing can authenticate forgiveness like celebrating with someone their new direction in life, right? Fun authenticates forgiveness, I think about this with my kids, right? I don't, I don't throw them a feast every time they, they mess up, right? But as a father, I know it's my job to teach them and to discipline them because I love them. And so um, they're good kids, but a lot of times they don't do good things. And so when, when, when I have to correct them or, or when they get in trouble, man, sometimes I got, a, I got a couple. I've got one kid who just nothing phases them. They don't care, right? I got two other ones who are pretty sensitive and they feel it. And they're like, all right, like even after I say you're forgiven and it's all good, like we can move on. They're, they're, I can feel them, um, you know, they haven't forgiven themselves or, or, or you know, they, they just, they're down on themselves and I got to snap them out of it. And my, my son's like this a lot of time. He's still like, you know, whimpering and crying after like, it's already been set. And I'm like, buddy, we got to, we got to like move past this. And so we got to do something fun, I've realized, in order for him to really get that. And so his favorite game is um, trouble. Like you hit the, the little bubble in the middle and you got to get a six to get out. Only he cheats and makes up all these other rules because he hates waiting for a six. But I'm like, let's play a game of trouble. And all of a sudden, like smile comes up and, and he's, my wife's great about this. She'll, um, she, it's not even, again, it's party. Broaden your definition. This is far from a party, but she likes to take walk with the kids. They go to the mailbox. When I tell you, I think that she has magical special treats in that mailbox. Because whenever she says, I didn't want to take a walk to the mailbox with me, they fight to, no, it's my turn, no, it's my turn. Like, they, they love these walks with mom. It's just about that quality time together. And they go to the mailbox, and then they take a walk around the garden and, you know, water the plants. And just, it's like their, their thing. But, but it, it, it reinforces to them, right, something fun, enjoying time together that says, hey, you really are forgiven. You really are forgiven. Right? It fun authenticates forgiveness. 
Over and over again in scripture, we find Jesus at the party, okay, leading the way and celebrating and serving and, and enjoying other people in a way that always adds value to life. There was the party that Jesus invited himself to at Zacchaeus' house, okay? There was a, a notorious dinner party at Matthew's house where there were lots of tax collectors and, and other sinners, okay? In both of these instances, in fact, the Pharisees showed up. The religious leaders showed up to these parties, saw Jesus engaging and eating and laughing and, 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 and spending time and building relationships with these, with these sinners, okay, these outcasts, and, 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 and they condemned Jesus publicly for that, publicly. In fact, uh, Jesus w- went to, evidently went to so many parties that it raised alarms with the religious crowd and the Pharisees, and they even accused him of being a drunk and a glutton, okay? It's in scripture, Matthew chapter 11, verse 19. The son of man came eating and drinking, and they say, here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Here's the point. Jesus liked parties because Jesus loved people. And he knew the parties was where the people were at. And the way Jesus interacted with people in the gospel stories implies that sometimes it takes a party to prove that people matter more than our opinions. I think Jesus knew that something happens at a party. That, that can, just can't happen anywhere else, right? It's the same thing that happens at the table, okay? When you can actually enjoy being with other people, when, when, when people feel safe and free enough to show their true colors, to be their authentic selves, when you become comfortable, not just with your perspective, but with how other people see the world, it opens doors, it builds bridges, and it deepens relationships. That's why Jesus loved parties, The Pharisees, on the other hand, they didn't like parties at all. Their theology and their ideology, okay, kept them from getting too close to people that they labeled as sinners. It was beneath the Pharisee to rub shoulders with the the local, uh, excuse me, with the average sinner at a a local party, okay? They were were the religious elite club. They, They were in the VIP club. They'd spent most of their lives trying to get put on the VIP list, okay, to, to separate themselves and be considered special, different, set apart, above everyone else. When, uh, after I graduated college, I worked um, in, uh, in downtown Boston. I, I worked as a bartender uh, for uh, like a restaurant bar for probably seven, eight years. And uh, I remember I worked in this place. It was called The Alley. It was literally like an alleyway across from uh, Boston Common. And they were like, five or six, uh, with the, we were the only like restaurant bar and then the rest were all nightclubs, okay? And so people go out in town in Boston and those days, right, some 20 years, 15, 20 years ago, it was like the hot place to go, like, let's go to the alley, right? And on Friday, Saturday nights, it would be jam-packed with people. And so uh, there was this new nightclub right across uh, from our restaurant that, that opened up and it was called the liquor store. And I remember when they opened up, it was like the hottest, like new thing. Everyone wanted to go. Friday, Saturday nights, it was crazy. The line was wrapped all the way down the alley, around the corner, down Boylston Street, across from Boston Common. Okay, I'm talking at least 100, maybe 200 people waiting in line to get into this nightclub. So, so one night I'm, I'm uh, you know, just working my shift. I come outside, I just get some fresh air, take a break. I see this huge line, and I had made friends with the, the guy who, who worked the door over there, was checking IDs. I was like, man, can I just sneak in here for a second and see what all the fuss is about. Like, let me just take a look. I want to see what's going on in here. He's like, yeah, man, go ahead, check it out. So I walk in there. I mean, it's beautiful, immaculate. Like, it's, it's, it's a really nice place. But there are 100, 200 people outside waiting to get in. I walk inside, maybe 25, 30 people, tops. 
I'm like, what is going on in here? I'm like, man, you got all those people waiting to get in. Why is it so like exclusive in here? What's, he's like, that's, the manager, that's what the managers want us to do. We let like a couple people in every like half hour. Like he wants to keep the line long outside so that it looks like everyone's dying to get in here and it creates a buzz and it's like this exclusive deal. Like that was part of their, their design. Like that was their plan. It just blew my mind. I'm like, y'all are crazy, man. I'm going to go tell those people in line to come over to my place. Like, I, we got room for you. Come on in, you know? But, but I was thinking of that as I was reading through the scripture. I just think, man, that's what the Pharisees were like. Right? We, want, we got room for all these people, but we, we want it exclusive. We want to keep them on the outside and us on in because we're special, and they're not. There was, there was a party. Excuse me. Um, um, imagine how they felt, these Pharisees. Okay, So imagine how they felt when Jesus came along and, and changed the rules on them. Okay? Imagine how insulted they were when Jesus suddenly expanded the invitation list. Think about how, how, how mad... Think about it for yourself. How, how mad would you be if you spent your entire life working to get into this elite club and then all of a sudden somebody changed the rules and everybody else could come in? Like you did, you jumped through the hoops, you followed all the rules, you put in the time, you put in the work to, to, to achieve this kind of elite status and then the next day someone's like, eh, it's all right, they can all come in too even though they didn't do any of that stuff that you did. That's exactly what happened to the Pharisees in Matthew chapter 22 when Jesus told another parable about a wedding banquet, this time to explain the nature of the kingdom of God. Okay, Matthew 22, verse 1. Jesus spoke to them again in parables, saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come, but they refused to come. Jesus continued to explain to these religious leaders and to everyone else listening in the crowd the dangers of rejecting him, okay? That's implied in this parable. The wedding of a prince would be a huge deal, right? It's, it's, the, it's, the, it's a special event. It's the best invitation you can get. No one's turning down that invitation, okay? And yet somehow uh, in, this, in this parable, strangely, these, these people who are invited refuse the king's invitation. And so we pick up verse 4. Then he sent some more servants and said, tell those who have been invited that I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and fatted ca- uh, excuse me, fattened cattle have been butchered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. And so the king persisted. Okay, evidently he, 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 he really wants those who are invited to come. So he makes this invitation as attractive as possible. He's saying, hey, the food's ready. Everything's ready to go. We got, well, your, your place has been set at the table. The music's going on. Like the party has started. Come on. We're ready to receive you. Okay? Now, everything is ready. Everything is ready is the message of the gospel. If you think about it, you don't, you don't come to God's feast and prepare your own meal. He's prepared a table before you. Right? God's, God's got it ready for you. All you got to do is show up and receive. Right? This is the invitation from the, from the king. Verse 5. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his field, another to his business. Doesn't make a lot of sense to me, right? The reaction from these people who are invited to the feast makes no sense. Yet it does give an accurate description of the reaction of many to the gospel. Okay? Many paid no attention. Didn't phase them. They didn't believe it. They didn't, they didn't even let it sink in. Right? Others uh, just went back to their business. Some made light of it, and others were too busy. I got to work. I got things to do. I ain't got time for that. Verse 6. The rest seized his servants, mistreated them, and killed them. The king was enraged. He sent his army and destroyed those, uh, and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. 
So not only did some reject his invitation, some just didn't pay it any mind, others were, were too busy, but there were some who actually seized his, and murdered his, his messengers. All right, of course, this enrages the king. He sends his army out rightfully to bring judgment and destroy these murderers. Now, this was a prophecy about what would happen to Jerusalem, the city where the religious leaders were so strongly rejected Jesus and his gospel message that they would ultimately have him murdered on the cross. Jesus is laying out, hey, this is what's going to happen, okay? And he's telling them exactly what they're going to do. Verse 8, then he said to his servants, the wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited did not deserve to come. So go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you find. So the servants went out into the streets and gathered all the people they could find, the bad as well as the good, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. King was determined. He was so determined to fill up his banquet hall that the invitation went out to anyone and everyone who would hear it, okay? And after the first and second invitations are rejected so dramatically, the third invitation was made more broadly. Everyone who's good or bad is invited to come and and, and enjoy this wedding feast. In this sense, this is a parable about grace, right? Those who were invited and who came were those who did not deserve the invitation, let alone to, to receive and sit down and enjoy such a, such a great feast, right? He's saying, hey, you, you can't earn it. You don't deserve it, but you're, you're invited anyway. This is the, the nature of grace. Jesus is putting the Pharisees on notice. Y'all think you're special. You think you've earned a place in the kingdom of God because of your deeds, because of your performance, because, because you, you, you somehow think you can earn it. But we don't realize is your self-righteousness. The fact that you don't even realize how much you need me is the very reason you're going to be on the outside looking in. Man, I wish I could have seen the faces of the Pharisees when, when Jesus told this parable. When he talked about this extravagant event, this, this beautiful wedding celebration, and he talked about the invitation that was sent to, to the VIPs, and then he suddenly gives the story a, a twist, right? He flips it on its head at the end. Everyone's invited. This idea, this one idea connects every nation, every, every tribe, every tongue, every race, every denomination, every human on this planet. Jesus began to describe the host sending messengers to the streets and to the neighborhoods to make sure everybody knew that they were invited to. He opened the doors wide open so that all can come in. The poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame became his welcome guests. It was as if Jesus was saying with this parable, sometimes it takes a party to remind us all that everyone is invited to the party. That's what Jesus implies about the kingdom of God. That it's a a banquet that God is inviting everyone to be a part of, and everyone gets a seat at the table. And by the way, everyone means everyone. Everyone. Everyone who's black, everyone who's white, everyone who's Asian, everyone who's, who's Middle Eastern, everyone who's Hispanic, everyone who's young, everyone who's old, everyone who's a Duke fan, everyone who's a UNC fan, especially Patriots fans, okay? Everyone, everyone who has an iPhone, Everyone who has an Android and ruins the group chat. Ruins the group chat, okay? Pointing fingers now, because she had to say something. I wasn't going to say anything, but come on. (laughs) Android users are invited too. 
everyone who likes country music, everyone who likes gospel, everyone who likes hip-hop, even everyone who voted Democratic or Republican or did not vote at all in the last election is invited to the party. Don't miss it. There's There's a party happening. The greatest party that the world will ever know because the invitation was extended from the creator of the universe. And the good news is that everyone is invited. Man, what if you started acting like that was true? What if you started acting like everyone is invited to the party? How, how will that one idea change your relationships with the people you encounter every day? Your family, your friends, your neighbors, your coworkers. Who would you forgive? Who, who would you reach out to? How would, you, how would you reprioritize your time, your gifts, your finances, if you truly believe not only that, that, that everyone around you is created in the image of God just like you are, but that everyone is invited to be a guest at God's party, to have a seat at his table. Imagine what would happen if we began to look at every person as if they were invited to God's party. If we invited people who are different than us to, to the table, to join us at our table, to start celebrating with them. If we hosted those who are the most marginalized, the, the, the most vulnerable in our world as special guests, if we intentionally organize our time and our resources to create the kind of spaces that that give people hope. Man, there has never been a more important time in history than right now to start acting like we believe this is true, that everyone is invited to the party. Jesus changed the rules. He rearranged the VIP list. Jesus invited everyone. And this is the mindset that we should have as followers of Jesus, as the church, when, when, when we approach the world around us. Excuse me. Man, I believe one of the reasons that so many people have become disillusioned with the church today is because too many of us act like not everyone is invited to the party. Whenever we discriminate against those who don't look or act like us, when we eliminate those who don't measure up to our standard, when we isolate ourselves from anyone and and everyone who who doesn't believe like us, when we we judge and condemn or write off completely those who disappoint us, we segregate the gospel. But the gospel in itself does not segregate. The gospel integrates. The gospel brings people together in Jesus Christ. And according to scripture, one day we will all be integrated in the same kingdom, in the same room, at the same table, worshiping the Father and celebrating one another with one another together because of the gospel. Because of the gospel. Because of the incredible news of our rescue and adoption by God through Jesus. This is what we get to look forward to. Okay, Revelation chapter 19. This was uh, recorded by, by, by John, the apostle John, who referred to himself as the one whom Jesus loved. They were tight. At the end of his life, he, he gets this, this, this vision from God about what it's going to be like at the end of days. Okay, this is Revelation 19, verse 6. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude. Earlier in Revelation, he describes the multitude as, as every nation, every tribe, every, every tongue, right? A great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters and like loud peals of thunder shouting, hallelujah, hallelujah, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. 
Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For the wedding of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's holy people, okay, which we could not earn or achieve on our own, but that we have in Jesus Christ, that he bought for us when he went to the cross. Verse nine, then the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the lamb. And he added, these are the true words of God. John says, this is the future that we're promised. This is the vision that God gave him, that we're guests of honor at the ultimate wedding feast. When our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, returns to claim his bride, the church, and make all things new, the world the way it was meant to be. There's a party happening, y'all, and everyone is invited. Everyone's invited. What if we started acting like this was true? What if, we, what if we live like we actually believe the party has already started and everyone's invited? I think if we engage that truth, I think if we leaned into it, if we, if we really stepped into that way of life, it could change everything. It could change everything. It, it could change the way we see one another, the way we show up, the way we treat and care for one another. It would change the way we love one another. And then maybe, just maybe, we would stand a better chance of presenting the world with a version of the church and a picture of our faith that they might actually be willing to give their lives to. The world doesn't want or need another religion defined by the exclusive attitude of the Pharisees. What they need is a relationship characterized by the inclusive nature and the radical love of Jesus. And what they really want is the life Jesus promised in John chapter 10 when he said, I came that they may have life and have it to the full. Abundant life, real life, true life. A life characterized by deeper connections and richer, richer experiences and a much bigger God than we can possibly imagine. Life the way God intended it to be. They need to know there's a party happening and everyone's invited. I started off with the, with the story and a half-joking confession about being a bad neighbor. <laughs> Um, but the truth is, God convicted me of that. As I'm digging through this scripture, as I'm preparing for this message, I never want to stand up here on the stage and, and, and say, here's what God wants y'all to do, and he hasn't, he hasn't done it in me first, right? And so as I'm digging through this, he's like, yeah, you haven't been a bad neighbor. It wasn't like condemning and I'm mad at you, but it was, it was convicting and it was revelatory in that um, even my friend Tim I told you about, I mentioned, I, I changed his name because I am, I'm hoping he, he, he comes here one day. And the reason that that uh, he shut me down so quick when I said I was a pastor as I got to know him was because he's got some story and some baggage in his past about how he feels about Christians and about the church and about, and so really what he said to me at some point was like, hey man, I, I like our relationship. I want to be friends. I know you're a pastor and I respect that, but just don't try to push any of that stuff on me. And I said, all right, man, I get it. I get it. I'm, I'm going to commit to showing up and let you know, even though you don't come to my church, I still love you and care about you. And so um, that's kind of how we established our relationship. And, and as I said, we're in the same fantasy football league. We hang out every now and then. But, uh, uh, you know, we moved away about a year and a half ago. And so uh, the, the text messages have become a little bit, uh, you know, more space in between them. And we haven't gotten together in, in, in a while. And, and, and so I'm, I'm reading the scripture. I'm preparing this message. And God was like, hey, when's the last time? Tim's invited. <laughs> When's the last time you reached out to let him know? And I was like, God, he told me not to do that. <laughs> and he was like, he's invited. He needs to know. Do you believe that? Do you believe it? 
And so I just, I just shot him a text message. Hey, I know this might sound weird. <laughs> Haven't seen you in a while. I hope you're doing well. God put you on my heart this week. Is there anything I can be praying for you? Crickets. <laughs> right? Almost nothing all day. Nothing the next day. About two days later, I get a text. I put, I'm like, oh, it's Tim. What do you say? Hey, man, thanks for thinking of me. I'm having some guys to play poker at my house if you want to come someday. <laughs> That's it. Did not mention anything about God, nothing about prayer. It's where we're at, right? I don't have the happy ending, perfect story, man. I baptized him in his bathtub, and it was amazing. Then all his kids got to I'm praying that happens. I hope it does. But in the meantime, he invited me to the party. I'm going to go and see what happens, right? That's where we're at. I told you we moved. We bought a new house about a year and a half ago. I got my neighbors to, to my right. I met him like the first week we moved in. I cannot even tell you his name. I'm ashamed to say that, okay? We never really see him, right? Neighbors over here, young couple. Wife's name is April. I don't know the husband's name. <laughs> We've talked a few times. It's, hey, bro, hey, man, how you doing? You know, we kind of just keep it brief, keep it real light. But that's, that's it, right? And, and, and I'm, God just convicted me. Man, you're having these tables. You're inviting people from the church. That's amazing. What if you walked over to your neighbor's house and knocked on the door and said, hey, would you come over and share a meal with us? Let's get to know each other better, right? I need to do that, right? This is my confession, and it's real. And I'm just telling you, I really believe, if, if I really believe that this is true, that there's a party hosted by the Lord our God, and everyone is invited, then I ought to be a little more relentless, in the way that I choose to love and serve other people. And, and, and a little more passionate about inviting others to, to join the party and invite their neighbors too. And I just think if we step into this as a church, if we commit to this way of life, tabling well and becoming party starters, it will have a, a powerful effect on our faith and our influence. And I think God's table will continue to grow. That's my prayer for us. That's my prayer for each and every one of you and for myself. I'm inviting y'all to, to join me in that, to start the party. Next week, I want to talk a little bit more about what that's going to look like. For now, let me, let me pray for you. Jesus, thank you. Thank you so much that, that we are invited. God, that we are invited. Lord, and, and, and God, I know if, if, if we were to finish that parable of the, of the, the wedding banquet, it would go on to say that many are invited and few are chosen. And God, it's a reminder that while we're all invited to the party, Lord, it's, all, it's up to us to leave our old lives behind and to, and to truly step in and accept you for who you are, to start living for you and no longer for ourselves, God. And so that's my prayer for each and every one of us and each and every person that you put on our hearts to go out and, and, and invite to the party, God, to, to invite to our table, to, to love in a way that is authentic and real, regardless of what the results are going to be, God. I just pray you would encourage us and embolden us and, and give us your, your grace, your compassion, your love, God, shine through us, fill us to the point of overflowing so that we can be the type of people, the type of church that goes out into a community that whether they believe or not, they know that we love them authentically no matter what, and we trust you to do the rest. Father, do what only you can do in our lives, in our families, in our hearts, and in our community. We love you. We need you in Jesus' name. Amen. Y'all have a good week. Come back next Sunday as we wrap this series up.